All right, good morning. For those of you who have asked where um, last Sunday's sermon went, it, it went into the never-never and it stayed out there. We don't know where it is, so we don't have a recording of it, unfortunately. Uh, there was a few repentance Hail Marys that were done, but uh, we missed it. We missed the recording. So it is what it is. If you weren't here, you missed it. So for those who are listening back to this recording, you missed it, unfortunately. It was a good week from, from Mao Meninga up the back there. I am going to recap a little bit, though, not for any other reason than I, I, I just... Um, thank you, Matthew. You're a legend. Then I just don't want to miss what God's doing at the moment. And Cherie, during the week, was putting that worship together. And it's amazing how well God orchestrates the, the, the worship leader's um, ability to hear the voice of God and then put together um, a worship set that, that leads right into what we're doing. You know, Cherie was singing a song this morning that, that we are getting prepared, right? We are readying ourselves and there's this sense at the moment, particularly for me, I feel like that the people need to be ready. The people need to get ready. You know, and I've, I've preached almost annoyingly from the barrel for the last few months about getting us ready and I, I just can't seem to shake this, what God is, is preparing us for and what he's bringing us into. And it was amazing that Cherie led the way she did. So if you've got a Bible and you want to go to, to Matthew 24 for me. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to skim through some, some scripture here. Verse 4, and then I'll bounce around a little bit. Actually, go, go to uh, verse 36 for me, brother. Let's start there. 24, verse 36. No, go to 23. Go to 23. My brain is all over the place. Go to 23. Matthew 24, chapter 24, verse 23. It says this. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See that I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say to you, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will I be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, the vultures will gather. Even the elect... Even the elect, there will be false Christs, false prophets that will arise and perform great signs and great wonders. What I think we've done in, in the modern times, in, in the, the contemporary time that we're in, is we've become attuned to signs and wonders and we've become tickled in the ear by signs and wonders. But you see, the challenge with the signs and the wonders is Simon the magician in Acts, he would have performed signs and wonders. He wasn't, I say this a lot, but he wasn't out there with a deck of cards doing magic tricks. But he was a magi. He was one of the ones who, who the, the word there is magi, not necessarily a magician with a fun hat pulling rabbits out of it. 
right? He was from a group of people who understood the spiritual realm. He was performing signs and wonders, and they were amazed. But go and look in Acts as to what Simon says when the disciples come to him. How do you have that power? The power that they had that was beyond the signs and wonders. Look, don't get me wrong. I love signs and wonders. I'm all for signs and wonders. But what we have to stop doing is seeing a sign and a wonder and then immediately going in and giving everything to that because that's where God is. Because that's not always true. Right? We have to learn as a people to discern because let me tell you, in the coming days, it's only going to get worse. There are some big church figureheads in our world today. Let me ask you this. If they stood out on a particular fancy balcony with millions of people standing in a particular fancy square and called upon a sign and a wonder to rock the world, how many people in that particular square watching that particular balcony would give themselves over to say, this particular person must be the Christ? the one who's come to save us. right? We can do this with just about every religion that's out there at a particular time and, and a thing comes and a, a glory cloud fills the room and oh my goodness, look who Ben is. He must be a powerful man and woman of God. No, I don't ascend past who God's created and made me to be as he has created and made you to be. So what we have to do then, what's in us is right is, is right in this verse and right in what James is, uh, Matthew is writing. He's recalling what Jesus has said. Remember that this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. We're going to touch on this morning the last two parables Jesus tells before he goes to be crucified. The last two parables that he obviously in his process of thinking before the cross thought, these are the last two things I want to leave with them. But it says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. We have to be sure that we are not gathering around something that we can get, looking for the dead things. We have to know who Christ is and understand the power of the kingdom and the glory of the heavenly realm so that when we see it, we know it. So that when we see light, we know it from darkness. The enemy is going to portray and come and already is coming as the sons and daughters of light. He's going to bring himself into the beautiful perfection of the garden as a, as a, a mighty cherub, as a trusted one. And he's going to lean in and whisper into the elect's ears, take the fruit. So what we have to do is we have to know the promise of God so that when we hear the false, when we hear that that's not of him, instantly we can discern the difference. Do not believe it. Do not go out. I want to implore all of us, please don't go chasing the fancy things. Don't go chasing the things that you think you're going to get something from. There's nothing out there. Ask God, reveal your heart to me. What does it look like? Where am I supposed to be, Lord? Where am I supposed to step? What job am I supposed to be in? Where am I supposed to be? What am I chasing? What is my heart set on? That's what James is saying. Sorry, Matthew is saying as he recounts the words of Christ. Just jump down to chapter 36. Still Matthew 24, but verse 36. Sorry, I said chapter Chapter 24, verse 36, Cat. One day I'll get that right. I'll just be smooth. It says this, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, 
not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The days of Noah, God only found favor in one person. He only found righteousness in one person or one family as we see. So what that highlights to me is that the rest of the world was living in absolute wickedness, debauchery, pain, suffering. And what Jesus is saying here, what he's projecting in this verse is that we will be in that place before the Son of Man comes again. That highlights to all of us that this is only going to get worse. This world is only going to get darker. There is only going to be more pain and suffering. But Jesus, like I said last week, Jesus comes and he says, repent. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. He's given us a way out. He's given us a place to live, a safety net. He becomes the ark. Right? The reason that, that the, the angel descends, sorry, the, the spirit descends on Christ as a dove is because we don't see that dove until all the way back in Genesis when, when Noah releases the dove and the dove doesn't return, right? Then we see that dove land on Jesus. It's a prophetic sign to say, I am, I am the ark in which you can come and be saved. I am the exit out of the darkness. I am the place in which you can hide and be taken away from the pain and suffering. We need to stop looking for when the time is going to be and start acting now with our hands. Start becoming the gospel in the world. Start being the light that God's asked us to be. If we're waiting for that clock to tick down, if we're waiting for, Lord, when is the end? What are the times saying? What is that looking like? And that clock is ticking, ticking, ticking. We're wasting our time. What God is saying is that we have been given a position right now. Get ready. Get ready. Prepare your hands. Go down with me to, skip down with me to the parable of the ten virgins. I haven't written what chapter it is. 25. I think it's the beginning of 25 maybe. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose, they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you, for you know neither the day nor the hour. 
I find it so incredible that this is one of the verses that Jesus decides to, to speak quietly to his disciples. Right? The disciples have been with him. The disciples have been with him this whole time and he's saying to them, don't get complacent. Don't lose your step. Don't let your oil run out of your lamp for the time will come when I will need you to come and step into the things that I have for you. Don't let your oil run out. I don't want this, I don't want us to read this as a condemning verse. This shouldn't be something that, that makes us feel condemned, that makes us feel like we walk away from here not empowered. I remember hearing a, a sermon from a preacher when I was a kid. I must have been like 10, and he preached about not falling asleep, right, about being awake. I remember going home being terrified to go to sleep that night. I was like, I don't want to miss it. So I remember just laying in bed going, Lord, I, I don't, don't let me fall asleep. Like riddled inside, like if I go to sleep, I'm going to miss it. Lord's going to come. I'm going to wake up and all my family's going to be gone and be left here alone. That's not what this is saying. I don't have time to preach through it right now, but I don't think we find a solid understanding for a rapture takeaway like the movie we see. I don't think that's scriptural. To me, it, it, we don't get to that place. God is not going to leave the children who have chosen to be with him behind. That's not how this, you don't miss it and fall asleep. What God is saying here is he's saying, arise, my children. Be ready for me when I ask you to step. Be ready for you to come and, and, and do as I've asked you to do. The urgency in this parable is, is, should be an encouraging thing for us, that we want to be prepared. Not that we're going to sit on our hands and go, well, heaven's coming one day. No, Lord, I want to be prepared. I want to do what you've asked me to do. The way I see this, this, this parable is kind of like somebody telling us that there's a sale on down at Harbortown. And I don't feel condemned. Oh, I'm never going to get the shoes. I'm like, yes, let's go. I'm encouraged. Let's get to the sale. I don't want to miss out. But in today's world, we go, oh, don't condemn me because grace and Jesus loves me. Yeah, we get that. But there's something exciting taking place. And like the Lord, I want you to be there. I want you to be on that train. I want you to be in that sale hall grabbing those fancy boots that you like and getting them half price. There's an excitement in our bones. There's got to be an encouragement in our in our waters, there's got to be a stirring that says, yes, Lord, I want to be with you. I want to be ready. I don't know what it, what it means to fill my lamp, but God, help me understand. The moment our heart shifts from, well, I get to go, so I get to walk through the door, to Lord, I don't want to miss out, then God gives us the tools and he equips us with the understanding about how to fill our lamp. The first question people have when they read this is, well, what's the oil? What's the oil? And I don't have an answer for you. So you have to go and work out what the oil is. You have to go and work out and say, Lord, what, I don't have a physical lantern in front of me. I can't go to the shops and buy my oil. What's the oil? I want to encourage you to look into the understanding of what gets said in this verse. It says in verse 7, they all the virgins rose and the first thing they did was they trimmed their lamps. I had to go and research why you trim 
the wick on a lamp. I knew you're supposed to do it, but I didn't really understand why you're supposed to do it. See, in these old lanterns, what would happen is when you when you burn a, a candle and you a, a, a wick and you blow it out, there's a bit of hard, crusty stuff that starts that forms on the blown out bit. So when you go to light it again, it's hard to light if you haven't trimmed the old crappy bit off the outside. The other reason that they trim the wick is that if the wick's too long, it creates a big flame and it's a big flame for a short period of time. It burns up all your oil and it doesn't get you to where you're going. And that's like a preacher's dream right there. It just gives you the two applications of the, of the wick that we've seen. Cut out the crap and make sure it's not a bright light that doesn't just burn out quickly. That's what Jesus is saying. That's why they trimmed their lanterns. See, it's so disheartening for me to see somebody get saved and they run into the Christian world and for about a year they are just shining so brightly and everything's exciting and everything's Christianity this and the Lord that and then all of a sudden it's like they get hit and boom, their light goes out. They become complacent, they become angry, they become frustrated because they shined this big, bright, fancy light, but they failed to realize it's not how big the flame is, it's how long the lamp puts you on the journey. As you guys will know, we have been building in this house not a fancy light. I say to guys all the time, it's not a play. We're not doing a smooth service so that we feel encouraged and excited. My goal and my heart is to train and equip all of us to have short, long-burning wicks. I don't care if you do it in this house or the one down the road. What I want more than ever are strong disciples of Christ who will burn well into the night. Because it's not a sprint. We don't come in, explode our light, do our fancy well done. We, we poured tons of money into the building. We put on a fancy show. And then in two months' time, we run out of steam and we have to close the door because we haven't managed what God's asked us to do. Slowly but surely, we keep the lantern alive. We encourage each other. We disciple each other. We grow. We learn. We step, step by step by step. It's not as fancy as others. Yeah, I know, we don't have the ability all the time. Why? Because I'm trimming the whip, the wick. We've cut the crap off the top. We've removed the nonsense from the top. That's what we are constantly doing. Jess and I are meeting with the guys who are helping us build each area of this church. We spend hours talking about worship. What's the nonsense? What don't we want? What's the flashy stuff that we can remove from the top? Coco spends hours in prayer, time researching, asking God, what's the stuff we can cut off so that our flame stays lit, so that our oil holds? What's the, what's the point of having lights and air conditioning? Do we need that stuff or is it getting in the way? Has that created a crusty top on the top of the wick and do we have to cut it off? Because if we do, we'll cut it off. If the building becomes a crusty part on the top of the wick, we cut it off. We go to the park. We stand in the hot sun. We preach like they do in many third world nations under a tree. Constantly, and all of us need to be doing this in our lives. God, what's the crusty stuff on the top of my wick that I need to keep cut off, that I need to keep removed so that my life can keep shining, so that my 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 understanding of you can keep being brought forward. 
And Lord, how do I make sure that it's not a big flame, flashy flame in front of my friends and my family, but then after a while it tends to go out. I want to challenge you, tend to the wick of your life. Tend to that thing. Ask God, Lord, Lord, where's the nonsense I can remove? Jesus at the end says something very challenging. Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. I do not know you. Could you imagine? Lord, can I come in? No. I don't know who you are. See, but the interesting thing about this is they were all virgins. Virginity, the the the. the prophesy understanding of holiness, righteousness, cleanliness. They were all clean. They all upheld the law, it seems. They all brought themselves before him in cleanliness. There wasn't a spot on any of them. They had all done the right thing. But see, there's a difference between knowing of somebody and knowing somebody. All of them were in the right place, all virgins, But Jesus says, you didn't know me enough to listen to my warning when I said, fill your lanterns. Have you ever had somebody tell you that they they know, like often it's if you go to have something built, like I'll go and see my mate down at the hardware store. I know him really well. He's a good guy. He'll look after you. And you know very quickly when you walk in the store and you meet him, like, oh, I'm Sean's mate. And he's like, Sean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Sean McClellan. You know Sean? I don't know Sean. Oh, that, yeah, that fella, he bought some wood for me one time. Yeah, I kind of know him. Right away, you start realizing, oh, this is not really the friendship that I thought I was going to get. I thought I was going to get a warm welcome, a handshake. Like, you always see it with people when they know celebrities, right? And they're like, yeah, I met, I know that guy really well. And then you, you watch them in a room, and it's really awkward. It's like, yeah, you remember, we went to school together. Oh, I, I kind of remember you. There's, a, there's an understanding of that in what this verse is saying. I know of Jesus, but I don't actually know him. I've read my Bible from day in, day out. I know them back to front. I can quote it all the time. But when Jesus comes and he stands before me, I don't understand John falling on his face in absolute awe of him. This is not about knowing your scriptures well. It's not about fulfilling the rules. It's not about being a good boy or girl or going to church every Sunday morning. It's about having a deep relationship with Jesus so that when I knock on that door, Lord, I'm here. He says, ah, Ben, my boy, come on in. Lord, I made it all the way to the feast. And he doesn't even have to ask me who I am because he knows who I am. See, once you start to understand this, you start to realize what the oil in the lamp is. Because it's simply this, to know the Father and for Him to know you. That's it. The oil is not going and achieving more things. It's not starting that ministry that He's asked you to start. It's not not writing the book or preaching to your neighbor. The oil in your lamp is to have a relationship with Jesus. You can come and sit in these plastic chairs day in, day out. You can listen to sermon after sermon, be in worship time after worship time. It all accounts for nothing if we don't know who Jesus is. Because when I knock on that door, Lord, you didn't make it to me in time. You didn't know who I was. See, what we want to do is get to a place where, Ben, don't condemn me. I'm not condemning you. Please, 
I'm asking you, go to the Harbour Town store. Get in your car. Let's go. We're going to miss it. I don't want you to miss it. I don't want to miss it. The reason that I spend time asking, Lord, where are you taking us? What are you doing? Is that I don't want to miss it. But it's in that pursuit of him that he keeps saying, here I am. You're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know who you are. Time and time and time and time again. I want people to say, hey, come and meet my, my best friend, Jesus. And when I walk in the room, he goes, Ben, who is this you've brought? I don't want it to be an awkward, ah, Mr. Jesus. I've been here once before. See, when we start to rationalize and understand that Jesus wants to know us relationally, he doesn't want us to achieve a task. He wants to know us relationally. Why? Because he says, even I, the son, don't know the end day, but I know the father and the father knows. And I am in him and he is in me. And if you would come with me, I will bring you into me and I come into you. And in a weird way, we'll connect up and we'll know the beginning from the end as the father does. I heard this great quote, I can't remember who said it, but he said, I don't know what the future holds, but I know who holds the future. I don't know what's down there, but I know the person who will take me. And I know that he knows the father and the father seeing the end from the beginning. So in that, I hold myself and I say, Lord, I don't know where we're going, but I'm glad you're driving. I don't know where we're going, but I think it's Harbour Town and I think we're getting them boots. Half price, sale. I'd look good in boots. I'd look good in boots, I think. Go with me to Matthew 25. Verse 14. Verse 14. See that, Kate? Jesus continues and he tells this last parable. And he says this For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went away at once and traded with them. He made five more talents. So also he who had the two talents made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made you five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have, you have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. 
But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, uh, to everyone who has will be given more, and he who will have, a, have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the second time Jesus told this story. The first was on the mount to the multitudes. The second time when he retells this story, he's sitting with the disciples only. Now imagine being in that moment. You're sitting with one of the disciples. You're sitting up with Jesus. Jesus tells the story and they're all thinking, yeah, yeah, all you servants out there, go and do the right thing with, with the Lord's money. And they walk back in. They sit down, Lord, you told them. Now what wisdom are you going to give us before you go? I'm going to retell you the same story because I don't want you to waste what I've given you. I think that would have been the hardest thing because you're sitting there going, oh, I didn't think this was for us. I thought that was for all of them. And Jesus says, no, this is for all of you. Come before me and understand what I'm about to tell you. That word talent was about a year's wages. And the word talent is the same. That understanding of the word talent is the same word that we get our word talent from which is I'm a talented person, right? It was understood that as a talented person, I could do something to make me money. So we took that word and we used it to say that the skills that I've been given will make me much worth. So what I think is interesting in this is that it, it has a double meaning. It's not necessarily talking about your money. If you want to go and invest your money, do so. It will be a good thing for you. But it's not necessarily talking about our finances. What Jesus is saying is I have given you all a measure of ability to achieve a task. So he writes, in, in the beginning, he tells a parable about the fact that it's, it's to do with your relationship with me. But then he says, but don't forget what I've given you. Don't forget what I've put in your hands. Like Moses, Moses, what have I put in your hands? A staff, and when he throws it to the ground, it becomes a serpent. What have I put in your hands? Jesus is saying, I've given you guys so much. What will you do with it? And I think there's four things that he highlights. The first is this. It's not how much you have, it's what you do with it. It's not how much you have, it's what you do with it. In Luke 21, 1 to 4, Jesus tells a story. He says, he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. But they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. It's not how much you've been given. It's what you do with it. There's so many of us in this room and guys who aren't here this morning who I've had conversations and they've said, I'm just not good enough. I don't have enough. I can't speak as well. I can't bring, I can't do what you do. I don't have the skills to speak to that person or do that thing. God is asking you to just use what you've got before you. Kate shared a testimony last weekend and she said to me before she, she shared that, I don't think I can, I don't think I can speak well enough. She spoke fantastically, right? Because we limit ourselves. 
It's not anything else around us. We limit ourselves. What God has given you, the gifts and talents he's put in you, use them. Why? Because they will achieve much and God will call you into more. He will increase your gift as you begin to exercise it. God will increase your gift as you begin to exercise it. It's not what you have. It's what you do with it. The next one is you will be held accountable. We will be held accountable for what we do with the things God's given us. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds in the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone work, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. What Paul reveals in this is that our work is not based on our salvation. Our work is not based on our salvation. But there is a gift that gets given when we use the gifts and talents God's put in us to bring back an increase on what he gave us before. So we read about the gifts, right? And we say, well, what about my gifts? What's my gift? But what God is saying, just like in this parable, is that when I give you something, the gift he's given us, he wants to see a return on that gift. So the way we do that is we operate in him and we start to use the things that he's laid before us. So many of you are gifted and so many of you are not utilizing your gift, not just in this house, in your sphere of influence, in your world. I want to challenge you this morning, myself included, how can I begin to invest what God's given me into something that will bring a 10, 50, 100-fold return. We will all be held accountable for what God's given us. We were not called to hide our light or bury our talents, right? We love this verse. We put our lights up on a light stand. Yes, you're the light. Go and get on a light stand. Go and get on a light stand. See, we don't bury it or hide it under a bushel. We don't take our talent and hide it under a bushel. That doesn't mean go and stand up on a, on a platform and tell people how good you are. It means go and let your gift be counted to see souls saved, to see people's lives changed, to see the kingdom come, to see the light shine in darkness. God has given us that call to say, let your light shine. Let your talent go and see that it's, it's, it's brought back tenfold. The last one is that God is more concerned with our character than he is our performance. God is more concerned with our character than he is our performance. goes back to the last point with the virgins, that they were all virgins. They were all clean. They were all pure. But he was asking, what is your character? What do you really want on the inside? What are you really prepared to do? Does this make sense? Is it challenging? Good because I am challenged by it, right? For me standing here and to preach this, I'm not saying I'm doing and using all of my talents to their full. God is talking to me too. God is stretching me, saying you need to go and do that. 
And I'm going, God, I don't know if I can. That's well beyond my pay bracket. That's well beyond my gifts. So I'm not standing here asking you to do something I'm not being challenged to do myself. There's things God's putting on my table, putting before me that look like could be big things. And I'm going, oh, Lord, pretty comfortable with my little space that I know well. I'm pretty comfortable with the things that I know I can do well. But every time we step out and we get comfortable, he steps us out again and he steps us out again and he steps us out again because he doesn't want us to stagnate. He wants us to go from what? Glory to glory. Glory to glory doesn't mean just mean more money in my bank account. Glory to glory means more on my table, more work in my hands, more fields to go and plow, bigger fields. We just finished plowing our paddock that he's given us and then someone comes over and says, well done, go on to the next paddock. Like, no, no, I've just finished my little job. No, you've got more now because we need you out there. See, what we have to stop doing as a people is stop looking over the fence at greener paddocks and saying, well, it's greener over there. Yeah, because he watered his grass. He put fertilizer on it. He walks it every day. You've stood on your paddock and whinged and done nothing. That's why there's no green greenery on your paddock. If you're looking over the paddock to see a greener on the other side, the only reason should be, is, hey, how did you do that? What do I do? I once saw a, a, a very wise man. I can't remember who it was. It was one of those wise man Facebook things that you see. But it said, um, the only reason you should look in your on your neighbor's plate is to find out whether he has enough. The only reason you should look to your neighbor's plate is to find out whether he has enough. See, when God's given us a task, get in your lane and swim hard. Do what he's asked you to do. Don't worry about the goggles you've been given or the swim hat, just get in and swim hard. Work out, Lord, where are you sending me? What's my talents? What's my gifts? Ask people around, start to say, hey, Shani, what, what am I good at, man? What do you see that resonates in me? What can I pour more time and energy in? How can I begin to do what you've asked me to do, to love God, love others, expand the kingdom and make disciples? How can I do those things? How can I center my life on those things and begin to see an increase in the talents? There's nothing more exciting to me than doing a, a discipleship time and having the next week someone come back and say, man, I did that thing. I did what you told me to do. And look what's happening. Look what's before my life. It changed something. That for me is fantastic. There's, there's the increase. There's the increase. Or, hey, man, I... I love what you're doing with us. I've been really challenged. So I've gone and I've started doing what you're doing with me, with somebody else. There's the increase. Exponential growth. One becomes two, becomes four, becomes eight. Becomes 16. I can't go much higher because my math gets bad. But very simply, it very quickly turns into, we want to see the kingdom grow. Do your part. Do my part. But just remember this, some of us have been given five talents. Some of us have only been given one. Stop trying to do what the guy with five talents is doing. Just do your task with the one talent. Stop looking up to the guy who's leading 37 discipleship groups, running two churches in five different countries. Stop looking to him and going, well, I'll never be like him. No, because you weren't given five talents. You were given one talent. So go and do what you've been asked to do with one talent. And maybe one day you'll get to five talents and you'll go, man, this is so easy. 
Old Ben couldn't do that, but five-talent Ben can. Stop looking around and saying, well, I want to be like that guy. I want to pray like Todd White. Yeah, but Todd White was only given one talent at one point in his life. And he invested it and he saw a return. And he had two talents. So he invested it. He saw a return. All of these guys, Billy Graham, John Piper, Bill Johnson, whoever your flavor is, whoever your guy is, whoever you don't think is a charlatan, We don't need to revisit that joke. <laughs> For those of you who didn't get it, I apologize. Whoever you listen to, whoever you see, stop looking to them and go, well, I'll never be that guy. Yeah, because you, you didn't see them at one talent. You didn't see them at one talent, Ben. You're only looking them at five talent, Ben, and going, oh, my goodness, just take what God's given you in your hands. Lord, he's given me to pray for my neighbor, then invest it. God, he's given me to intercede for my leaders, then invest it. God, he's given me to, to speak with this, the, the girls, to pray for that person with cancer, then invest it. But get ready for the increase. Right? Kate's uh, testimony last week, they pray for one girl. Her life gets changed. She gets saved. Now they've got three girls. Why? Because she invested and there was a return. She starts to see one girl help her lead her, guide her, turn around, you've got three girls. Why? Because there's an increase on your investment. That's what God is saying. The last two things that Jesus lays before us before he goes to the cross, fill up your oils, oil your lanterns, know who I am, trim the wick, cut the nonsense out off the wick and take what I've given you and invest it to see a return. Invest it, invest it, invest it. That's here in this house. That's in your home, with your family, at your workplace, in your sphere of influence, on the street, at your coals. That's where you invest. It's not just one place. It's all over our lives. Does that make sense? Do you all feel like you've got something that you can take and go and look at again and go, okay, Lord, what am I going to do with this? Why don't you stand... Saying amen at the end of, the, of a prayer means that we establish it or we agree. So I'm going to ask that if you don't agree with what I'm going to pray for right now, don't say amen. That's okay. <laughs> Coco already said a pre-amen. You all heard it. It's important. It's important because what we do when we pray, the reason I get you to stand is to engage you so that you're not slumped into your chair. But when you say amen... You are establishing something. That word means to make it so. So spiritually, what we do here is we're agreeing with something. And I want to ask, I want to challenge us into something. So Father, we come before you right now. Lord, having stood in your, in your throne room this morning, having heard your voice, having joined with the angels, we declare your kingship. We declare your holiness. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the Holy One in which we worship. And God, this morning we ask that you begin to reveal the crappy parts on our wick.
God, I ask this morning that you begin to reveal the things in our life that are stopping us lighting that lamp. God, would you reveal the things in our life that are holding us back from seeing more of you? God, would you reveal the things in our life that are are making us operate from that place of fear to not want to step out like that, that man who had the one talent? He operated from fear. Lord, may you take that fear from our life so that we can see who you are and we can see how to invest the talents that you've given us. Lord, search our hearts this morning. Reveal to us as we go from this place, tonight and tomorrow and the day after. Lord, start to highlight things in our worlds, in our life, God, that aren't of you, that aren't allowing our light to shine. And Lord, help us to trim those things off the wick. But God, more than all, this morning we ask that we would know you more. God, that we would see you more that we would feel your presence, that we would feel your holiness, your righteousness, your kingship more. Lord, that we would understand just what took place on that cross, that it wasn't just a a Willy Wonka ticket to heaven, Lord, that there was a power and a might that was given in that time, Lord. May we understand that in a deeper way. Lord, help us to know you. Help us to see you. And God, this week, challenge us Challenge us to step out. Challenge us to operate in a space that you've asked us to operate in. God, reveal our gifts and talents to us this week and give us space to use them. Lord, we love you. We honor you. Jesus, I declare your kingship in this house. I declare your kingship in this nation. I declare your kingship in this city. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one we serve, the one we love. In your beautiful name we pray, amen.